Hello, and welcome to the Urology COVID Lecture Series Podcast, brought to you by the UCSF Department of Urology. In today's episode, we have Dr. Dolores Lamb from Will Cornell Medicine, talking about paternal aging and implications on male fertility. Hi everyone, my name is Caroline Kang. I am one of the current fellows in male reproductive medicine and surgery in the Department of Urology at Wall Cornell Medicine. Tonight, I have the honor of introducing Dory Lamb. Dr. Lamb is, uh, is, is very well known. Um, she is the Vice Chair for Research in the Department of Urology and the Director of the Center for Reproductive Genomics at Wall Cornell Medicine. And she also holds the Dow Professorship in Urology. Dr. Lamb is a highly recognized NIH-funded researcher in the fields of urology, male infertility, steroid hormone action, prostate cancer, and genitourinary birth defects. Her experience is unique. She has extensive uh, background in clinical, diagnostic, and basic science arenas in men's health, as well as having a remarkable record of achievement in the mentoring and development of clinician scientists. She is a former president of the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and five other national societies, the recipient of numerous awards and honors, including the Distinguished uh, Researcher Award from ASRM, the American Society of Andrology Distinguished Andrologist Award, the Ramon Gutierrez Lecture at the AUA Annual Meeting, and the Distinguished Mentor Awards from the AUA Foundation, the Endocrine Society, and the Society of Women in Urology. Tonight, Dr. Lamb will discuss implications of advanced paternal aging on male fertility. Great, thank you. Thank you, Caroline. So I'm delighted to be here and um, talk to you all remotely um, about advanced paternal age. And uh, these are my disclosures. None of them have any relevance for uh, the topic that we're gonna be covered, covering today. So, you know, any of us who have kind of followed the media knows that there have been huge changes over about the last 40 years in um, the age of, of, of marriage, uh, the age of first birth for both men and women. Um, and um, we're going to focus today and talk about um, paternal age. Um, and in this slide, I'm showing you here just an example of how um, uh, the far fewer men between the ages of 29, 25 and 29 um, are, um, are becoming fathers. Um, this happens to be a study from uh, uh, Great Britain, uh, but there have been similar studies all over the world, and the trend really is quite common, certainly in the developed countries. And that is that men are waiting longer uh, to initiate a pregnancy. And as you can see here, not only are the number of births going down um, uh, for most of the ages that are looked at, um, and um, there are more births that are occurring for men who are older, between 35 and 54 years of age. And so I just want to remind everybody of kind of the, the ticking biological clock, and that is that you know, women know very well that they have a natural limit to their ability to conceive a child. Um, and this is because um, women go through menopause. Um, and it's a very obvious change and um, it's something that they, they can't mistake. But you know, men are seemingly untouched by this notion of this fertility precipice. Um, traditionally, they're viewed as immune to the ravages of aging as it relates to fertility, both in a physiological sense and a societal one. And I hope that by the end of my talk today that um, you'll agree with me that uh, men also um, face a similar biological clock to women, albeit a different one. So first we're gonna look at what are the reproductive changes that occur with paternal age and what are the consequences of paternal age on the offspring. So we're going to start with looking at male hypogonadism with aging. So here we are looking at a longitudinal study of aging, um, and this is based on a study of um, about 890 men in the Baltimore study on aging. And so essentially they measured testosterone levels in men um, over each decade of life, beginning at age 30 all the way up till about age 90, just about age 90, 
Um, and they measured both total testosterone and um, free testosterone index. And you can see that there's a very clear decline in circulating testosterone levels as men age. Um, and essentially starting right at about 30 years of age, you see this very, very significant decline in testosterone levels, both the total testosterone in circulation and the, the, the free testosterone. And what happens as a result of this decline? Well, one of the most measurable results is that semen quality dis declines as well. So in this slide, we're looking at, um, this is a nice study by Fratarelli, uh, which was in fertility and sterility. And he, they are looking at total modal sperm counts. So this is the total amount of modal sperm that are present in the complete ejaculate. So it's a much more accurate way to try and measure uh, sperm output uh, than doing, say, concentration or sperm count per mil. Um, and so, when we look at men who are less than 35 years of age, you can see that um, essentially they have the highest level of total modal sperm count. Um, and this remains constant uh, for about 10 years, something like that, five or 10 years. And then as they begin to grow older 40, at 41, um, there's a continuous decline, the start of a con continuous decline and here we're going through 55 years of age, and you can see that this is a very dramatic decline in the amount of sperm, total modal sperm that are present in a man's ejaculate. So by the time the man is over 55 years of age, you can see that he's got about one seventh the number of total, total modal sperm as compared to the younger men who are um, say under 35 or under 40 in this case. And so essentially what I just showed you is that the younger men, less than 45 years of age, had significantly more semen volume and more modal sperm than men greater than 45 years of age. And, and we know that this occurs because of the testosterone levels, because the seminal vesicle is exquisitely sensitive to, um, to the actions of testosterone, um, on, and this affects semen volume as that is the major component of this, this seminal fluid. Um, and then motility also, um, which is a, a characteristic of sperm gained in the epididymis, um, also depends on testosterone action. So not surprisingly that these values occur given the, the significant decline in circulating testosterone levels um, with advanced age. So then if we look at the individual semen parameters, uh, we can see that all of the major parameters that are um, measured in a uh, routine semen analysis. So this, inc oops. this includes uh, semen volume, sperm concentration, all right, um, sperm count, sperm motility, and sperm morphology. Again, all show very significant declines as men age. And here we're looking at men uh, beginning at 45 years of age up to, um, um, up to about 80 years of age. Um, but it is a very marked decline in all of the parameters that we would normally assess in a routine semen analysis. Now, I want to remind you that sperm count is not a measure, and, and uh, semen analysis is not a measure of a man's fertility unless there is no sperm present in the ejaculate or there are a few rare uh, morphological defects such as globozoospermia. But the fact remains that seeing all of these parameters decline is certainly not, um, not um, a good thing for, um, for the aging man. And the probability of producing an abnormal semen specimen increases with increasing age. Um, and so again, we talked about um, the probability of having an abnormal motility, um, as well as count, but there are other problems that are found um, in the sperm as well. And this is um, increased levels of DNA fragmentation, which are shown um, uh, in the very small circles, um, which are here. Um, and there are also um, increases in the uh, 
the number of uh, new mutations in the, um, the ACH uh, gene, which we're going to talk about in more detail, um, as well as a increase in aneuploid sperms, particularly in um, seeing in the levels of uh, diploidy. And so all of these are, are very significant increases seen with advanced paternal age. And so just to look at this data in a little more detail, um, this is again showing you the amount of DNA fragmentation found in sperm from men beginning at age 20 up to about age 80. And you can see that again, you see a very significant increase in the uh, number or percent of sperm that have DNA fragmentation. Um, and there are also increases in the achondroplasia gene mutations. That's the ACH gene that I told you about. Uh, this encodes um, the protein, the fibroblast growth factor receptor 2, um, uh, which is very well known to cause achondroplasia. Uh, actually a very specific mutation shown for you here. And there is a huge increase in the percent or the number of the mutations with advanced paternal age per 10,000 genomes as again, the age increases between 20 and 80 years of age. And again, depending on which parameter of aneuploidy you look at, um, there, there are also some increases seen um, as, as well. So what is the significance of all of this um, for the men with increasing paternal age in terms of the physio physiologic, the genetic and genomic um, problems that they may encounter? Well, amazingly, the first problem of advanced paternal age in terms of um, pregnancy has to do with the wife. And that is because there is a significant increase in obstetrical complications in female partners of older men. And so studies have shown that pregnancy complications in female partners of men older than 45 years of age are more likely to develop hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, placental abruption, intrauterine female, uh, fetal demise and preterm delivery. Um, and advanced paternal age is also increased with a 48% increased risk of late stillbirth, a 19% increased rate of uh, low uh, birth weight, an increased rate of preterm birth, as well as a 29% increased rate of very preterm birth, so very premature babies. And um, all, all of these um, odds ratios were adjusted for a few maternal and obstetric characteristics associated with adverse obstetric outcomes. Now, I think some uh, investigators have argued that some of this could still be that um, even though the wives perhaps are not as old as the husband, they are older than the, the younger women um, that we might think about, you know, I'm saying sort of at the cusp around, you know, late, late, 30, 30, 35, something like that. Um, but uh, you'll see that other studies have controlled for some of these issues. Now, in, in this study, um, also by Fratarelli, um, we see that, um, you know, sperm from men uh, with advanced paternal age, we're looking um, here, can achieve a pregnancy virtually as well you know, fertilize the egg virtually as well as um, that of younger men. Um, as shown right here, um, the embryos tend to implant almost as well, right? This is not significantly significant, this beginning of a decline here for men greater than 55 years of age. So really implantation is not affected, nor is um, pregnancy, um, at least in the initial stages. But when we look at fetal loss during pregnancy, we can see that it's relatively constant, the rate of this, um, up until you look at fetuses conceived by men who are older, in this case, starting at 55 years of age and older, uh, and certainly for, for the, um, the fetuses from the, the more significantly older men. 
Um, and importantly also, even the live birth rate declines. Um, and so again, this decline is more seen more clearly in the men who are over 50, um, and specifically those men who are older than 55 years of age. So the father's age can have a significant effect on um, both the rate of pregnancy loss and the, uh, the rate of live birth. And this was based on a study of a little over a thousand men, couples where the men were of various ages. So advanced paternal age also can affect the rates of miscarriage. Um, in a study of um, over 5,000 natural conceptions, um, it was found that partners of men who are older than 35 years of age were 1.6 times more likely to miscarry than partners of men younger than 35 years after controlling for maternal age. And so in the, uh, in the OBGYN um, literature, advanced paternal age is considered to be one of the main known causes of, uh, of recurrent pregnancy loss when the man is over uh, 35 years of age. In a study of uh, about 17,000 intrauterine insemination cycles where they also controlled for maternal age, the partners of men older than 35 years of age had miscarriage rates of really about twofold greater, 32.4%, as compared to a miscarriage rate of about 14% in men younger than 35 years of age. This was highly significant. And so clearly we see that paternal age is negatively impacting semen quality. I showed you that the semen volume, the total sperm count, motility, and morphology have all decreased with advanced paternal age. It also negatively impacts ART outcomes. Um, there can be poor embryo quality, reduction of fertilization, certainly um, uh, pregnancy and live birth rates go down. Um, and importantly, it's also associated with increased sperm DNA fragmentation. And this is very important because recent meta-analyses and I would say studies that were performed with more rigor, looking at the association of increased sperm DNA fragmentation with pregnancy loss have clearly shown um, that there's an association between the, these two uh, measurements. And um, so the DNA fragmentation is independently associated with infertility as well as lower live birth rates. So again, it's thought that at least some of this effect of the paternal age on the pregnancy outcomes comes from DNA fragmentation. So what about the incidence of gene mutations and genetic syndromes? Um, and we know that um, there's obviously an association of gene mutations with genetic syndromes, and these increase in the offspring conceived by older fathers. So interestingly, um, a physician uh, in Europe, Dr. Wilhelm Weinberg, first reported an adverse effect of paternal age and birth defects. And again, he was looking at achondroplasia, which again is dwarfism, a form of dwarfism, uh, and birth order. So this was long before we had genetics. This was actually um, in the uh, 1800s. Um, I think around 1865, and um, when he made this observation and published a paper on this, and this concept then was later more clearly defined in Pen by Penrose in 1955. It was another paper in 1921, again, alluding to this type of problem, but, you know, there was a poor understanding, uh, or no understanding, actually, of genetics in those days, um, but obviously, you know, the birth order and so on um, with increasing paternal age was observed. And since that time, there have been many, many publications describing numerous birth defects and genetic syndromes, in addition to achondroplasia, um, that have been published that, that, again, suggests that advanced paternal age is underlying um, the increased frequency of these um, 
these syndromes and birth defects in, in children conceived by older men. And I have listed for you just some of the papers that are showing this data. And um, after we finish, um, eventually these references are gonna be posted on the website along with the slides. And so you can look at these papers um, freely, but, but there are many, many papers on this. And in 2012, um, there was actually a, a uh, this was a, became a name disorder. It's paternal age effect disorders or PAE. And these were very well described. And they show a bias in the paternal origin of the mutation seen in the offspring conceived. Um, there's a very strong paternal age effect. And this results really from a very high germline mutation rate in the, in the sperm itself. Now, our understanding of all of this has really I would say exponentially increased um, based on the development of next generation sequencing, which I think probably everybody is quite aware of. This, these are massively parallel sequencing technologies um, where either whole exome sequencing is performed, that's where only the coding region of the genes are sequenced, or, or more, more frequently today, um, or increase, with increasing frequency today, whole genome sequencing is performed where essentially the entire genome is sequenced, both the coding regions and the non-coding regions, and looking for evidence of new mutations in the offspring. So again, next generation sequencing has really revolutionized and increased our understanding of the effect of paternal aging on the offspring very dramatically. So in this paper, um, genome-wide patterns were assessed um, by analyzing a little over 11,000 um, de novo mutations from the whole genomes of 250 families. And so that means that the mother was sequenced, the father was sequenced, the children were sequenced. Um, and um, so obviously, you know, the mother and the father each have their own separate um, collection of polymorphisms and SNPs and so on. But what they looked for then was evidence of new mutations in the offspring that were different than either parents. And they could actually then also trace to see whether the, the mutation identified came from the mother or the father. And so amazingly, when they performed this study, they found that paternal age accounts for 95% of the variation in the global mutation rate in the human population. I mean, it's really quite an amazing number when we think about, um, about all the mutations that occur, almost all of them come from the male and increase in frequency as the male gets older. And so then not surprisingly, the absolute number of new mutations, de novo mutations in the offspring are more numerous in the children of older fathers as compared to younger fathers. So again, remember I, I told you that um, the concept of advanced paternal age was associated and its association with genetic syndromes and offspring was observed as early as 1955. Um, and there are some you know, possibilities as to why this occurs. And the main one is that as men age, as they have repeated cycles of spermatogenesis, this contributes to the increased likelihood that there are gonna be spontaneous de novo mutations seen in children of the men with advanced paternal age. The mutations that are found are caused by single base pair substitutions. So it's simply a point mutation um, that is, is causing these effects. It's, um, it's, so it's a very specific mechanism that's involved. But, it's just amazing to me that, you know, here these paternal age effects were raised many, many years ago um, and really in the 1800s, but even if we jump ahead to 1955, um, 
there was a strong suspicion of this. And in fact, in uh, 1958, there was also a paper published on increased incidence of schizophrenia in children from older fathers. So scientists have been studying these paternal age effects for more than a century, but today concerns about a paternal age effect are rarely discussed with older men seeking to become parents. There's many, many reasons for this. Um, both on the, um, the gynecologic side as well as the, uh, the urology side. And this is just showing you, um, for example, over a shorter age range um, about uh, the contributions of new mutations to the child between the father shown in the blue dots and the mother shown in the red dots. And, so here you can see, again, she has a slight increase with aging, also in the number of new mutations found. You know, we always think about aneuploidies, right, um, in it with advanced female age. Um, but, um, and, and obviously the women go through menopause sometime around 45, so that's when the study was stopped um, for the females. But we can see that, again, there's a very significant, much higher number of de novo mutations in, in the child um, of the aging men as compared to what is contributed by the aging female. And to give this a little bit more significance so you can, can appreciate why this is so important, not only do the um, children born from older fathers have more mutations? Um, we see that when you look at an offspring born to a 40-year-old father that most people would not consider to be an old man, um, that those children have twice the number of new mutations um, as the offspring of a 20-year-old father. And importantly, here we are talking about mutations in the coding regions of the genes. And so these are highly likely to be impactful in terms of the function of the gene rather than, gene, than mutations which are occurring outside of coding regions of genes. So you can see that just in the 20 years um, between the 20-year-old father and the 40-year-old father, there's a twofold increase in the incidence of new mutations in the offspring which are born. And um, so these mutations again, and this is showing you exactly what, what I'm telling you about, in the, um, in the red are the genic mutations, and so these are the ones that are in the coding regions of the genes, again as plotted by parental age, which you can see again a very significant increase. And these are the, the mutations which occurred, which are in other parts of the DNA, which do not code for a gene at all. So again, the mutations in the offspring of older fathers were not only more numerous, right, but they were also individually more likely to have a functional consequence and interrupt the function of, of proteins, um, many of which are needed um, by the body. So if we look at this a little bit, again, schematically from a, a different perspective, if we look at young parents where we have a normal young male and a normal young female, the female and the male at this point um, have undergone, whoops, about the same number of uh, mitoses, right, per, per year. So here the female has undergone 22 mitoses. This occurs all during that woman's fetal development, right, because once you have the, um, you know, the proliferation uh, in the, uh, uh, of the germ cells uh, in the fetus, and then they, they stop, right, and they, they enter meiosis and, and they're arrested until, um, until they're ovulated. Um, whereas in the normal young male, they undergo 23 mitoses per year. So again, they started at the same rate as, as the young female. Um, but in a 20-year-old male, they've already gone through 100 to 150 mitoses of the spermatogonia. And, um, and so as a result, you know, here, um, the very young uh, 
first will contribute the males and the females, essentially the same number of, uh, of uh, mutations in the germline, right? This is in the ova, this is in the sperm, and we can see the, the yellow dot here for mutations only in the germline. But then when they're adults, and um, you know, fertilize an egg, you can see that again, the female may contribute a few, uh, say somatic, additional somatic mutations, which arise really in the embryo during embryonic development, not directly from the female, but you see a significant increase, right, in the number of de novo mutations. And uh, with today's sequencing technologies, we know that in the 20-year-old man, um, there are about 44 to 82 uh, small nucleotide variants, right, which are found in the genome that are de novo in the offspring that are conceived. About one to six of these are in coding regions, three to nine are indels, and there's a small percentage uh, that are copy number variations, structural chromosomal variations. Now, um, Mutations can also arise in the prenatal postzygotic uh, time period. These are relatively rare. Again, the majority come from the germline and come from the, the, the male sperm, right? And uh, there can also be some postzygotic mutations that occur, which again um, will be somatic mutations only. So when we look though at older parents, right, who, where the man is older, we still have the young female. So again, she's exactly the same situation as it was over here, but the over 40 male, instead of undergoing 100 to 150 mitoses, has now undergone 610 cell divisions, right, um, proliferations um, of the spermatogonia in a 40-year-old man. So again, he has increased numbers compared to the young man of de, no, de novo mutations in the sperm, um, which upon fertilization actually result in a very significant increase in the single nucleotide variants, as well as a, as a very significant increase in the mutations found in the coding regions of genes. Slight increases also in the indels as well as the copy number variations. But, you know, as, as a hard number, you can think that there are one to three de novo mutations per additional year for every year of paternal aging um, at the time of conception. And this is, again, very significantly higher than the 0.24 uh, de novo mutations per additional year in the maternal age at conception. Um, the, the mother can also um, contribute to the in increase in indels and, and copy number variations, however. But again, I think this shows a little more clearly exactly the difference between the young man and the older man. Now, importantly, the mutational load of the offspring for each paternal year um, at the time of conception varies considerably between families. And so this suggests that there's a heritable component to, um, to the, this, um, the, the rate of de novo germline mutations in the offspring. So it's been thought that some of this is due to individual differences in the rate of mutagenesis, um, and perhaps also frequency of spermatogonial stem cell division, although we don't know that for a fact. Um, but very importantly, and one of the main causes which is thought to uh, underlie this family variation um, in, um, in the mutational uh, load in the offspring has to do with um, genetic variation in DNA mismatch repair genes. And um, this could be perhaps in families with cancer syndromes and so on, you know, from the studies, these were large population studies that couldn't be shown. But in support of this hypothesis have been studies in mouse models where they've um, knocked out various genes. In this case, um, in this mouse model that I'm quoting here, they had knocked out the exonuclease activity in DNA polymerase gamma. And um, 
and seen that the offspring, again, had an increased incidence of these de novo germline mutations um, from with the paternal contribution that did not occur um, in the um, ova of the females, um, the contribution of the ova to the fetus as well. So what are the consequences of increased de novo mutations with paternal aging? Um, so the paternal age effect disorders that I told you were first defined in, in 2012 um, consist of mutations predominantly in the, the fibroblast growth factor receptor 2, fibroblast growth factor receptor 3, and RET genes. And we know that um, point mutations in the FG, um, F, this should be FGFR2 gene result in an increased risk for Apert, Cruzan, and Pfeiffer syndromes. And FGFR3, the receptor for the FGFR, the FGF uh, uh, growth factor, receptor three. Um, accounts for the vast, vast majority of achondroplasia, 97 to 99% of the cases of uh, achondroplasia, which again is dwarf a form of dwarfism, occurs from a mutation in the FGFR3 gene, mostly predominantly in the paternal allele. And mutations in red cause types 2A and 2B of multiple, multiple endocrine neoplasia in the offspring. There can also be autosomal aneuploidies in sperm, which again can be assessed by sperm fish. And there is also an increased incidence of X-linked disease in the offspring. This includes hemophilia types A and B, the Duchenne muscular dystrophy, Hunter syndrome, and Lyon syndrome. And again, even in the male, there can be an increased incidence of copy number variations with increases in paternal age. Now, you know, people often ask me and they say, well, you know, some of these conditions are rare. And so why do we care if there's an increase in them when something rare is increased? And so I think that when you look just at the examples that I'm showing you here of a variety of these different conditions, and I've told you about achondroplasia and the, um, the Apert syndrome, Pfeiffer and Cruzan syndromes, um, but when we look at the relative risk, you can see that it increases a huge amount. So normally in a population, um, there should be, um, there's one case of achondroplasia per 15,000 births. And this, this is in, you know, couples of all ages, right? Um, but the adjusted risk, right, when you take into account the advanced paternal age goes up right? Um, tremendously, right? So, um, so 15, 000, 1 in 15,000 is adjusted then to about 1 in 2,000, right? Which is a huge, huge difference. Um, a similar order of magnitude can see, be seen for Apert syndrome, as well as Pfeiffer and Cruzan syndromes as well. Um, but we see that there's some variations. So some of these risks go up sort of exponentially, and some of them go up linearly. Um, and uh, so, for example, um, say here, retinoblastoma, there's about um, a, a threefold um, increased uh, risk. Um, and uh, certainly for conditions such as Klinefelter syndrome and, and Down syndrome, again, it's a slight increase with paternal aging, but nothing like what we're seeing with the increases in these syndromes up here. And, and again, many examples of this childhood leukemia is increased, but it, it's not nearly as more, it's not as significantly increased as we see in, in some of the conditions that I'm showing you up here. So what about the association of advanced paternal age and congenital anomalies? So this is not an inclusive list, but I'm showing you sort of some of the types of genetic syndromes and mutations that occur in the offspring of older men. So some of these children uh, can have, uh, say, some midline defects such as cleft lip, cleft palate, diaphragmatic hernia, um, 
Cardiac defects are more common uh, in children of older men. Um, and certainly some of the um, neurological problems, including schizophrenia, again, reported in 1958 as being more prevalent in children from older fathers. Bipolar disorder, there is a lot of data on autism spectrum disorder where some of the specific genes which are known to be involved in this have been shown to have a much higher rate of mutation in the children conceived with autism spectrum disorder conceived by the older men. Um, there can also be poor, poor neurocognitive outcomes as well. Neurofibromatosis, um, some of the cancer uh, syndromes, um, again, are more common in children from older men. And we see here a, a variety of different congenital developmental defects, as well as de novo mutations causing syndromes such as Huntington's syndrome, beta thalassemia, and epilepsy. But again, this is not an inclusive list, but just some examples. And importantly, children born to fathers aged um, 40 and older have increased mortality as well. Um, in a Danish population-based register study um, that went from 1978 to 2004, they looked at almost 1.6 million children stratified by age under five years of, old, of age. And they showed that there was an increased risk of mortality in children conceived by older fathers due to congenital abnormalities, malignancies, and some external causes. And so here they were comparing um, even the fathers aged uh, 40 to 44 years as compared to those over 45 years of age. Now, this is one example that it's supportive of many, many other studies that are in the literature using these types of uh, registry-based studies. So what are the recommendations for couples with advanced paternal age? Well, Today, it's thought that prior to the initiation of a pregnancy, couples should be offered preconception genetic counseling, and they should be advised of the risks of infertility, miscarriage, and de novo mutations associated with advanced paternal age. They um, should be offered prenatal diagnosis up until 16 weeks of gestation, but you know, um, it's important to remember that, say, a karyotype analysis done prenatally or even a prenatal microarray analysis is not going to identify the mutations that we're talking about that are so prevalent with advanced paternal age. Now, whole exome sequencing certainly could do the job. Um, and although it's potentially advantageous, it's expensive and requires, you know, the fetus and both parents to be tested. But you know, there's a risk of identifying mutations of uncertain significance, and you know, you could have incomplete penetrance of a phenotype, um, and it could result in pregnancies being terminated that would have had a healthy birth um, result from it. And so, um, so right now, whole exome sequencing is not recommended. And importantly, also, you know, the genetic, genetic information that could be found could affect the parents as well, because, you know, they could have adult onset diseases and conditions that they weren't um, aware that they had, um, and perhaps did not want to know. Um, there's a sense that, you know, that more ultrasounds should be performed and perhaps some advanced imaging technologies such as, um, you know, uh, some of the functional MRI procedures and so on might identify some conditions at 14 to 16 weeks in addition to the routine evaluations. Um, but again, remember that even the ultrasound or the, the MRI is looking at sort of structural anatomic uh, abnormalities, it's not going to tell you if there's cognitive dysfunction or, or certain behavioral problems such as schizophrenia or autism or bipolar disorder. So that wouldn't identify all the children at risk or the fetuses at risk. And, you know, um, I'm often asked, you know, like what age is considered too old for the father? Um, and so how should, should physicians counsel couples about the implications of paternal age on outcomes? So the American College of Medical Genetics does not specify an upper age limit for men who are seeking to initiate a pregnancy. 
Um, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine only suggests an age limit when it comes to um, uh, semen donors, right, of uh, an upper limit of 45 years of age. And, uh, you know, certainly advanced paternal age, the whole issue of this is further complicated by the facts that the condition can have a wide range of effects on offspring and the associated risks of aging do not necessarily simultaneously increase. And, you know, um, obviously none of us are genetically perfect um, and uh, lots of older men have healthy children, you know, um, that uh, are seemingly fine. And so it's not to say that every pregnancy will be affected, but the incidence of all of these problems that I've told you about do increase with in advanced paternal age. So I think that my take home message is that older men who wish to conceive a child should be better informed about the risks of conditions that can occur in their offspring. Um, and um, these risks of disorders in offspring increase continuously over time. So clearly the older the, the male partner, um, the higher the risk is. But there are no um, screening or diagnostic test panels that are available at this time specifically to target conditions that increase with paternal age. You could imagine that perhaps they could do um, you know, either testing of maternal fetal blood or, or, or prenatal testing, looking at the, um, the paternal age effects disorders, right, which are fit quite well defined, but, but that has not been established and done clinically yet. Um, and despite the increased risk of pregnancy that once it's initiated involving a man with advanced paternal age should be treated no differently than any other pregnancy according to the prenatal diagnostic guidelines established by the American College of Medical Genetics. So, so obviously the risk is there, it's not zero, um, but again, um, there's no guarantees of a perfect baby, you know, for these couples with advanced paternal age, but that's true even for normal fertile couples, right? Um, and so it's just a matter of the risks involved um, and the consequences of then having um, perhaps a less than perfect child being born. So I want to thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you. Um, again, as Caroline told you, um, you know, I recently moved uh, two and a half years ago to Wall Cornell Medical College uh, in New York City. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be here presenting to you today and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Do I have my screen sharing off? Can you tell? Sorry, I I was muted. Um, thank you, Dr. Lamb, for such a great talk. Can you can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, right now, I'm screen sharing. I am. Stop. Oh, there we go. Okay. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Kirsty, if you want to put up the um, the slide, perfect. Um, so right now, I don't think there are any any open questions, but um, but you know, one of the questions. Um, that I was thinking about when, when listening to the talk, just given the fact that, you know, we see, we'll see men in our practice and, um, and, you know, um, given the trend of, of older men fathering children these days, you know, what is your recommendation in terms of sperm banking, um, you know, or talking to patients about sperm banking early? So thank you, Caroline. Well, so, you know, I, as you know, I, I had a large sperm bank when I was at Baylor College of Medicine with huge numbers of samples, 76,000 patient files. None of them were banked for advanced paternal, you know, the concerns of advanced paternal aging um, in particular. Uh, on the one hand, we could, you know, argue that um, this might be a good thing to do. We encourage women to bank their oocytes, right, um, especially, you know, women who want to delay childbearing, perhaps until their careers are more established or it's a better time in life for them. And so conceivably men could be banking their sperm. It is certainly not the practice guidelines. Um, 
It is done by some commercial uh, sperm bank facilities, um, but it is not widely uh, recommended um, for young men to do right now. Arguably, it doesn't sound like such a bad thing to me. It's just like we do fertility preservation, again, for women or for cancer pa you know, patients about to undergo chemotherapy. Um, it might be a good um, fallback, but I think with our current knowledge today, um, probably counseling is the best um, thing that can be done. Okay. And kind of, kind of along the same line, you know, is there anything right now that, you know, when we see somebody who, you know, who's a little bit older, you know, is there anything that we can tell them to do um, to kind of limit these mutations that they accumulate or they, you know, or, you know, is there really not, you know, does it just happen and, you know, there's nothing that we can do to stop that? Right, right. So from an evidence-based medicine perspective, remember I told you that there were several um, places where there could be problems arise. One of them is in DNA fragmentation. And uh, you know uh, there have been studies on DNA fragmentation and exposure to free radicals such as ROS. Um, and then the DNA repair, once that sperm, the damaged sperm, fertilizes the egg, the egg does undergo some DNA repair right after fertilization um, in the initial steps of embryogenesis um, that can repair um, the, the defect, but in that process induces a very specific mutagenic change in um, what appear to be some hotspots of genes. This is work by John Aiken, um, but there is no evidence that, um, that we can prevent DNA fragmentation, that we can do any type of medical treatment. Um, I mean, obviously things like free rad radicals and all could be diminished perhaps with antioxidant treatment, but there's no evidence that that's been successful. So, you know, the problem really is just the process of aging because, you know, as you very consistently keep adding, adding, adding new de novo mutations to your germline in, in the, you know, in the sperm, um, we don't have any way of stopping that. And, you know, if you think about it, it would be, if, if we did, it would be a great boon, not only to help men of advanced paternal age who want to have a child, but even probably to prevent some malignancies, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't have that perfect drug. So, so that was a long answer to say there's really nothing right now that we know of that can be done. I think that there's two questions there, Caroline. Yeah, so um, I think, so one question is, how long before conceiving attempts do you recommend counseling? Oh, well, um, so again, the, the recommendations um, for, um, on, the recommendations state that it should be prenatally. So it shouldn't be how many times you try, it should be told to the couple if they know, you know, when a couple goes for um, before conception uh, checkups, more or less, right? And I don't, I don't have a sense of how many people do that, probably not as many as we wish, um, but, um, you know, as the sooner they can have that information, the better. Um, and, and obviously some couples, lots of couples will still have a child, right? But at least they do it and make an educated decision, recognizing that it, it may not be the healthy child that, that they hope for. And there's, I think, another one too, a chat maybe. I think that was just the, the welcome message. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. So, well, thank you so much for a great talk, Dr. Lamb. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Learn more by visiting our website, urologycovid.ucsf.edu.